Welcome to the Unscripted Podcast. I'm your host, Anna Hutchcroft, photographer, copywriter, and educational content creator. Join me while I sit down with talented photographers, savvy entrepreneurs, and inspiring educators from the Unscripted community. Each week, I pick their brains and invite them to share real-life advice so you can learn everything you need to know to grow your dream business. Tune in for conversations about harnessing your creativity, connecting to your clients, building your confidence as a photographer, and so much more. No matter where you are on your photography journey, this is the podcast for you. If you want to celebrate all stories, take photos that matter, and feel empowered in your craft, don't go anywhere. Let's get right into it. Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Unscripted Podcast for Photographers. Today on the show, we have Ali Hansen. She's a wedding, family, and in-home film photographer based out of Richmond, Virginia. After stumbling across a Polaroid camera in Target after an interstate move, she fell down a rabbit hole of researching, studying, and devoting every waking minute to understanding film. Once she learned enough to develop a roll of color film in her bathroom, she knew she was hooked. Today, she shoots almost exclusively on film, and her clients seek her out for it. Having built her business on in-home sessions, she has a lot to share about what it takes to cultivate creativity, see the magic in the everyday, and connect with people in the intimate environment of their own homes. She's passionate about film, and she's even more passionate about supporting women who shoot with film, because I think she's just seen firsthand how it can empower you to turn your passion and art into a purposeful life. If you've ever thought about incorporating film into your workflow or gotten stuck on how to make your in-home sessions run more smoothly, this is an amazing episode to wrap your ears around. Here's Allie. (laughs) Allie, if you could just start by introducing yourself and tell us a little bit about how you got into photography. Well, my name is Allie Hansen, and I am a film photographer based out of Richmond, Virginia. I specialize in in in-home sessions for couples and families, and then I also shoot weddings a good bit of the time. But my business started and was founded on my in-home sessions, pretty much. And you kind of Um, got your start during COVID, didn't you? Yes. I bought my first digital camera a few years before COVID just to take photos of my animals. I had no intention behind it. And when the lockdown, like I know the lockdowns compared to like Australia were nothing here in America, but when America really did like lockdown for a second in like late March or whatever, I quit the barista job that I had and I suddenly had all this time on my hands and I just sort of started watching some YouTube videos on how to sort of take better photos because I had had that digital camera for all those years, but I truly didn't know how to use it. Like I would shoot it in auto or I would do a really terrible job shooting it in manual. So I sort of went down a rabbit hole learning as much as I could, which sort of landed me in videos and such about the business side of things. So I started wondering if I could do that. But it all sort of happened on accident for me because while I was in the process of learning all of these things, I was taking photos of my friends and posting these portraits almost every day on Instagram. And pretty quickly, people started offering to pay me because of the portraits I was posting. And these weren't families or anything. This was just, you know, solo portraits of people. And that's sort of how it started, because once I started sort of making very, very, very side money from it, I was like, hmm, I wonder if I could 
make real money from this and sort of turn it into a business on purpose. Yeah. Nice. You're like, okay, <laughs> I'll go from doing this kind of accidentally and like incidentally and yeah, yeah like maybe my start shoots making a thing. Were, my shoots were literally 40 to 50 US dollars. I mean, oh. I was like, you know, like <laughs> really just like dinner money type stuff. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's awesome though. I feel like that kind of takes the pressure off of it when you're just starting out you're not like oh, having yeah. to like deliver anything epic because you feel the pressure of like, Oh yeah. And I mean, know. it felt like so much money because it was like, Oh, people are paying me to take photos of them. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just the very fact that there's a money exchange is novel. Yeah. I remember the night that I had booked out that first summer, which of course booked out was again, you know, 40 to $50 shoots. But I had booked out my summer because I knew that I wanted to spend that summer honing in my craft and getting better and better. And I remember the night that I was scrolling on my notes app on my iPhone with all of my shoots. And I looked at my husband and I was like, I think I need to get a color coded calendar or something because I can't keep up with all of this. I feel like that's sort of the moment that it clicked for me that, okay, this could really turn into something. So I put my focus on making sure every shoot that summer would make whoever saw those photos want to hire me. And I really put my all into just making sure I did as good of a job as I possibly could, like very intentional. And how did you kind of begin to like gravitate towards in-home sessions? Yeah. So I think my first in-home session was a couple session and not a family. And I don't think I was necessarily gravitated towards it yet. It just sort of happened. And I actually think that was around when I discovered the Facebook group for Unscripted. I don't remember where or how I found your Facebook group, but mm -hmm. suddenly once I was in it, I saw, you know, all kinds of different like artistic photography that I had not been exposed to yet. I just remember that I saw a lot of incredible in-home sessions and my work, even with my solo portraits, already leaned super documentary style. And so after I did that first couple session in their home, I really enjoyed how it went and like how laid back it was. And I pretty much just in my advertising after that, I was using those images and saying, I want to photograph you in your house. And I went ahead and sort of thought ahead of concerns people might have. Like a lot of people think, you know, oh, my house isn't put together or my house isn't, you know, artistic or photogenic. It's not going to look good in photos. I was sort of thinking ahead, even at that time, telling people, I don't need your house to look any certain way. I literally just need maybe two or three corners of your house that I can work with. You don't have to put all the clutter away. You don't have to, you know, change the things that are on your walls. Like we're going to crop all that stuff out. Like anything that doesn't fit, we're going to put you in the parts of your house, A, where the natural light is hitting, but B, where we're not seeing all, you know, the overwhelming sort of imperfect things that might just like clutter the image, you know? Totally. And I also feel like so much of it is that it's kind of like striking the balance between like capturing enough of the sort of like everyday stuff, but also keeping it kind of artistic focused on the couple. And I feel like that's something that as an in-home photographer, you kind of have to just get your eye in for where this is part of who they are. This is like a portrait of them in their houses. So like important to include 
a bit of just the lived inness of a house. Yes. Yes. But then also to like really reassure people and be like, look, we're not after Airbnb, was, like, you know. Yeah. When I was first going inside people's houses, which is so crazy, I tell my friends all the time, it's I go in so many people's houses. And at this point, like when I think about all all the houses I've been in over the past four years, it's like, wow, I've been in so many strangers' houses and it freaks my Nana out that I just like <laughs> show up to these strangers and and trust them not to be like criminals or something. But, you know, when I was first going into people's homes, especially because I was newer to photography in general and I was still finding my voice and my style, you know, there's definitely difference in the curation of my in-home sessions now versus if you were to look at photographs when I first started, because when I was still finding my style and voice, you know, I would go into people's homes. I would sort of let them take the reins from the beginning, let them, you know, put me where they had in mind for the photos, things like that. If people's blinds were closed, I would almost be too scared to ask if we could open them, you know? Mm, right. As now I go into people's houses. And of course I'm polite and I take off my shoes, but I sort of get right down to it. I'm like, all right, so I'm going to go in each room of your house. And unless there's like a certain room that you know, for certain, you don't want me to go in. I'm about to do a tour of the house, look at everything to see where I want to shoot. I'll start, you know, putting things away for them. If I can see that there's, you know, mess in the way that's not like an artistic type of mess, you know, things like yeah. that. And I think that when it comes to in-home sessions, taking the reins right away when you get in someone's house actually will really relax them compared to if you sort of approach it too much as you are a guest in their house. Does that make sense? Yeah, like, totally. Because it's like you're just tiptoeing wow. around and then they feel like they have to kind of host you. But then it's like a weird power dynamic yeah. because like you're kind of meant to be the boss because you're the photographer. And then it's just like yeah. you're in really like murky territory. Yeah. So I found that it relaxes people so much. If I just tell them exactly how it's going to happen, I start putting the wheels in motion. I don't have to make them, you know, do anything. They just get to, you know, watch me set up whatever parts of the space I'm going to set up. And I definitely think that that can make in-home sessions way more relaxed and comfortable for the people you're photographing, even though it's their home. Totally. That makes so much sense. What are some ways that like you normally prepare for an in-home session? Like, you know, this is the kind of, you're talking us through a little bit of like what happens when you arrive. Mm -hmm. Can you let us in a little bit on your process before you start a session? Yeah. So ahead of time, I definitely ask people what the lighting situation is in their house. A lot of the time I will ask them what ways their windows face. And that will sort of impact what time of day we end up shooting. I think I sometimes ask, like, go ahead and, you know, shut doors ahead of time that you for sure don't want me to come in because I'm sort of just going to immediately start evaluating everything when I get in. I sort of, you know, give them a heads up on that. And yeah, they typically ask me, you know, how much mess should they clean up in terms of like, you know, if it's a family session and the kids' toys are everywhere, a lot of the times I actually like that. Like, I don't necessarily yeah. want to clean up things like that. But yeah, if there's, you know, muddy shoes or something like that, we're going to put shoes away. We're going to put dirty clothes away, things like that. 
Yeah. Other than that, there's no other preparation that really goes into it other than I do tell them that you probably want to do one set of nice clothes for the in-home session and then one set of comfy clothes where we'll do more of the really laid back shots, you know, so it could be pajamas or it could just be, you know, outfits that you would lounge in, but not necessarily pajamas. A lot of the times people have their shoes on when I come in their house. I don't know why, but I'm always, (laughs) I always tell them to take off their shoes because I'm like, I'm pretty don't normally have those on so let's yeah. take those off <laughs> like it's part of my outfit <laughs> yeah and how do you like to pose people when that do you like to give them like activities to do while they're in their house or do you kind of just tell them to sit around on a couch or yeah. well I would say probably every home I walk into they ask me if I need anything like water or coffee or tea I typically accept one of them, you know, so typically when they bring me something to drink, they also get themselves something to drink. So once I'm done, like looking around their house and stuff, I will like sit down on the couch or somewhere in the kitchen. They sort of just sit down as well. And we start talking. I start sort of telling them how things are going to go. I typically already have my camera, one of my cameras out for this part, because as we're talking, like we might, you know, get off topic and they start talking amongst themselves or their kids start doing something cute. I don't want to miss those moments. So oftentimes I will have my cameras ready for when we're sort of doing the intro part of things. I always tell people that I like to start with more posed portraits because I feel like people, again, when you sort of take the reins and take charge, people relax faster. So typically I tell them that we're going to start in whatever room has the best natural light at that time. I will sit them in or around that patch of light and I will start with a lot of direction, a lot of, I don't want to say posing because I truly don't feel like I do very much posing. It's more like sit on the couch right here and, you know, sip your coffee, look around, don't talk. I like to tell people don't talk for these shots because with film, you know, you can't fire off the way that you can with a digital camera. So I want to reduce the chance of getting you with your mouth wide open in an, an unflattering way. So that's typically how it starts. And then once we get that out of the way, there are activities that we can do. Like oftentimes people will already tell me ahead of time, hey, we love to play Scrabble or hey, my kid loves this little game. Can we bring it out? Or they'll tell me, we love to cook together. Can you photograph us sort of prepping to bake cookies or prepping to, you know, make whatever dish they like to make together? So we often will do things like that. We typically don't, they don't go through with the baking part because <laughs> it would take too much time. But I, I do the prep photographing of things like that. Yeah, I love that. I feel like it's such a good point that you made before about how you would shoot differently with a film camera than with a digital camera. Like you kind of have mm-hmm. to like rein them in a little bit. It's kind of my resources. Mm-hmm. I've only brought like so many rolls of film. Like I can't, you know, just like fire off. So it's kind of how you potentially structure the shoot would be different. How do you deal well, with like different lighting conditions? Like have you ever gone into a house and been like, oh my God, it's just so dark and like horrible. You- yes. <laughs> So I bring a flash with me to every session. It's just my goal to not have to use it. Most of the time I don't have to use it, but there has been a few times where I'm like, I just think that I should use it, play it safe. 
That doesn't happen super often, but I tell people even ahead of time, well, everyone tells me the light in their house is bad. Everyone is usually wrong. Usually I get in their house and it's fine. So we have that conversation ahead of time. I tell people, hey, you know, if the light really isn't sufficient or if it's a really rainy day, so it's darker in your house than normal, I have a flash in case we need it. It's just my goal not to have to use it. But typically I'm not, I many occasions will ask people, hey, can I take this lamp from this room and bring it in here and put it next to here? Like I always put back everything I rearrange, but I move lamps around a lot if I have to. (laughs) Some people will tell me, oh, actually our lights are dimmer lights so they can make them brighter if we end up using the overhead lights. The overhead lights are typically always off unless it's one of those situations where either it's really, really unexpectedly dark, whether it's from a storm or because their house is just naturally pretty dark. And do all of your, because you shoot a lot of film, obviously, and like Mm -hmm. a lot of these in-home sessions are, are they, am I correct in saying like a lot of the in-home sessions you do are like 100% film? Yes. So all my sessions are 100% film. They obviously didn't start that way. So I do feel like when you look at my work when I was shooting only digital versus now, I feel like the in-home shots definitely were more, I don't want to say candid, but there was more action happening sort of just because before there was a whole lot more talking going on. And it's not that there's always a point in the session, usually towards the end where I say, okay, we've gotten everything that I know that we needed to get. So now we're going to take 10, 15 minutes for you to just exist together. And I am going to photograph that on film, but I keep that for the very end for the last part of the session. So I am getting, you know, candid shots of you talking and your kid yelling at you and things like that, but I'm saving it for the very end if I can help it. Yeah, that makes sense. So you have a bunch of different film cameras that you bring to the shoot and do all of them have like a built-in light meter or do you have to carry Um, a separate? Yeah. So I use a light meter on my phone for my cameras that don't have a light meter. I think two of the cameras I'm usually using at sessions don't have a light meter, but the rest do. I found my phone to be perfectly accurate. So I haven't invested in a nice light meter external light meter. I'm never metering by eye. I'm always going by some sort of meter. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like it's kind of a bit high risk, especially if someone's like paying you to come Um, into their house. Well, actually, if someone's going to shoot film, especially in the beginning, shooting film in people's homes, one thing I actually recommend is, so I'll bring the film stocks with me that I'm pretty sure I'm going to be using, but I always plan for unexpected things. So maybe I'm pretty positive that I'm going to need to shoot Portrait 800 in their house. But then when I get there, the light is way better than I think it is. So I only need Portrait 400. Mm -hmm. I don't load my film into my cameras until I'm at their house after I've been able to assess all the rooms and how the light is, because I learned that lesson in the very beginning you know, sometimes, you know, I'd be loading up my cameras and then I'd get there and I realize, oh, I don't actually need this film stock. I need the other one. Yeah. Do you ever bring any like crazy, like 3,200 or like 1,600? I experimented a lot with it last year and I found just in my own experience. So I'm always shooting manual, so I'm not sure. Maybe I need to be exposing or something. But in my experience, shooting those really high ISO films 
it never, ever accounts for what I'm actually trying to light. So those shots have turned out really dark for me. So like the background will be perfectly lit, but then the people in the photo will be underexposed. And I'm not really sure. I just haven't really enjoyed shooting with that, those film stocks. I actually love to use those film stocks outside in the daytime, but I just don't like using them inside right now. So you kind of like Portra 400 default and then like other ones. Yeah. Yeah. I was shooting mostly Cinestill 400D and 800T last year, but now I'm shooting mainly Portra just for the sake of consistency. I love Cinestill, but sometimes it can be really unpredictable. And Cinestill is, in my experience, much grainier than Portra. And Mm -hmm. I don't always want that extra grain. So probably for the past six months, I shoot Portra. (laughs) It's such a forgiving film stock, isn't it? Like, I feel like if you mess up one stop over, one stop under, like it still captures like the highlights and the shadows pretty well. Yeah, I actually shot my last roll of Cinestill last week because I buy my film in bulk. So I've had like a huge load of Cinestill for almost a year now. And I finally used the last of it last week, like in my own personal shooting. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to buy any more in bulk or not. Do you Um, buy like bulk rolls and then like load them manually? Or do you buy Um, like lots of like 36 exposure, like 24 exposure? Yeah, so my local camera shop, they sell, I don't know how many is in it. You know, when you go to buy film, some all still in the plastic wrapping and it's like several rolls. Yeah. I'll just like buy out the big bulk rolls that they have. I think it's different for all of them because sometimes there's less rolls in one of them than others, but typically I'll just like point and be like, okay, I need bulk of that, bulk of that. <laughs> That's so handy. That's amazing that you've got a camera place like that near you. Yeah, It's an hour away, but it's worth the trip for me. A hundred percent. Definitely. I feel like there's nothing like that around here. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to pivot back a little bit to like just talking about in-home sessions because pretty soon I just want to like pick your brains about film. But Mm -hmm. do you have any like favorite stories you might want to share from like past in-home sessions? Any ones that have really stood out to you for any reason, like that are just you're sort of like gold-plated in-home session memory. One of my first in-home sessions that I shot, it was on digital because I wasn't shooting film. But I remember it was probably the first super, I guess, like artsy household that I ever went into. They just had excellent like taste and like their walls were like painted dark colors. It was a really just a mood. And they had like all this vintage furniture. They had this super vintage chess table that they had in the middle of their big long dining room table and to this day it's one of my favorite photos I've ever taken they're on opposite ends of the table with the the chess in between the table and they're I can't remember if they're looking over at me or looking at each other but it was a candid photo that I took once I had sat them down at the table and then I just took some steps back and took a landscape shot and it ended up being like one of my favorite shots I've ever taken and it was with you know there was no natural light because we were away from their windows, but we they had a nice chandelier above their table, which provided like super ambient, you know, light for mm-hmm. it. Cool. Regardless of whether you photograph elopements, weddings, or family sessions, the juggling act that comes with running your own business can be a real struggle. 
There's a lot that falls on your shoulders, from marketing yourself, to managing your finances, to finding new ways to stay creatively inspired. Look, it's a lot to expect one person to do on their own. You should be able to grow a thriving photography business without losing sleep, time, or all your friends over it. Having empowered over 500,000 photographers worldwide to make money doing what they love, the unscripted app for photographers takes the struggle out of what you do. Offering the world's most extensive collection of poses and prompts, lawyer-approved contracts, digital invoices, client questionnaires, beautifully designed galleries, and so much more, your only regret will be not getting on board earlier. Stop feeling disorganized, insecure, and awkward. Book your ideal clients and grow a thriving photography business today. Search Unscripted in your app store now and get $20 off lifetime access with our code UNSCRIPTEDPODCAST. Yeah, I feel like every photographer just like has some photos in their mind of like these moments that everything just kind of lined up. And, Mm -hmm. you know, some people it's right from the beginning of their careers where, you know, they're still learning the craft in a lot of ways, but they're just, I don't know. I feel like sometimes there are these, these, these memories that you have of photos that you're like, that one was really special. Oh yeah. I definitely feel like a lot of my sort of hero in home family shots were coincidentally a when I was shooting digital but b when I was still learning and it's like shots that I just happened to get you know like that photo with playing chess I was not experienced yet it was you know probably in home session number like four or five like I was still very much learning and experimenting and I still have that photo like you know on my website you know four years later so I definitely feel like I got a, a lot of awesome, unintentional hero shots in people's houses when I wasn't even trying. Whereas now I feel like you might always try to chase getting something that felt like those other shots. But the thing is, just like every person is so different. Everyone's home is so different. And everyone's you know personality to their home, not even just their personality. Like It's going to be unique to every home that you're invited into. Having done like more and more in-home sessions, are you finding that you're attracting more of the kind of clientele that you may have been hoping to when you first started? Oh, yeah. I feel like ever since I posted that first in-home session that I did, every person who has contacted me for a non-wedding thing, they just know off the bat, I want to shoot in their home and they, you know, invite me no problem. And typically when I do in-home sessions, we'd also do outside shots. Mm -hmm. That's a concern people have too. They're like, what if we don't have a yard or maybe they're in an apartment, something like that. I've done plenty of, you know, neighborhood aspects to the sessions. Like, okay, we're going to go like ride your kid's bike around the neighborhood if you don't have a backyard, you know? Totally. What do you think it is about you and like maybe your personality and what you're drawn to that makes you really well suited to in-home sessions? Well, I myself am a huge introvert and very shy when I'm not shooting. And personally, I just feel really nervous when I'm shooting in public places, like not nervous with my clients, but I have a lot of anxiety over strangers watching me photograph. (laughs) And so I feel like that might be after I did that first in-home session, I probably felt really good because there was so much privacy, not just for my clients, but also for me. And I do think that, you know, even if someone is fully prepared to be photographed at their favorite park or 
their ice cream shop, even if they're prepared to do that, I think every person is going to have a level of anxiety knowing that strangers are watching them be photographed, you know? But I do think that people just naturally are more comfortable in their homes, even if they're a little self-conscious about, you know, certain things about their house. Me and my clients are just so much more laid back when we're not in public. (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think also that initial like anxiety about you being seen in your home, like once 10 minutes pass and you've established a little bit of rapport, then like that kind of goes away pretty quickly. Yeah. And we definitely always do the outside portion after we do the inside portion for the same reasons I just talked about. Yeah. In case there's a help. <laughs> totally. So I want to pivot a little bit to film now and talk about your first film camera. Yes. So my film journey started, well, in the beginning, everyone thought my work was film at first because I was certainly after that, you know, quote, vintage film inspired look when I was editing my photos. But I was always in the camp of, why would I want to spend that money? Why would I want to make even less at shoots, you know, because of the out-of-pocket expense that would come from shooting film? You know, who wants to wait for it to come back from the lab? But I loved film and I loved the look of film. I just was dead set on not shooting it. And then I relocated to Richmond, Virginia from Alabama in May of 2022. And Like the first or second week that I was here, I was at Target shopping for new things for my apartment here. And I passed the Polaroid aisle, which I've passed obviously dozens of times. So I have no idea what it was that day. But I just randomly was like, huh, I wonder if that would be fun to take photos of my animals, which again, that's how the digital camera started. I because I have four (laughs) animals at home. Wait, what animals do you have? I have three cats and a chihuahua. Oh my God, um, cute. So they're all in a bunch of my photos. <laughs> so I, yeah, I just like literally couldn't tell you the reason. I have no idea what made me buy a Polaroid that day. But of course it was, you know, the modern one that they sell at Target. And I took it home, took a photo. I don't even remember what the very first one was. It was probably just my dog. But I was fascinated, which... Sounds so silly because obviously I knew what Polaroids were and I had seen people use them before, but sort of using it intentionally for the first time, it felt so fascinating. So it sent me down a rabbit hole of over the course of the next two weeks, I watched every single documentary and on YouTube of the history of Polaroid and like the old Polaroid factories and like the way the chemicals work and all of that. I then was like, well, I need the real thing. I don't want this plastic Target (laughs) version. So I bought the original SX-70, became even more hooked when I got that and started using it. And I guess sort of the Polaroid documentary YouTube rabbit holes led me into documentaries on, you know, 35 millimeter film and things like that. So I already had a film camera at home. You know, I had a Canon 8E1. I just didn't use it. It was more like shelf decoration. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Impulsively got some film, was like, let's try shooting a roll of film. 
I sort of went all in because I developed my first role in my bathroom. I ordered a darkroom bag and all the stuff you need to develop your film at home when you don't have a darkroom. I ordered because I think my husband bought it from somebody a few years ago. So I had a way of scanning my first few rolls. And basically, I was hooked from there. And that was when there was about six months left in the year. So I contacted all of my sessions that were coming up because I I was booked out for those six months. And I said, hey, I'm just letting you know that I'm switching over to film. And if it's okay with you, our sessions are going to be full film. And I did that because I knew that I wasn't going to learn if I had digital to fall back on. So I was pretty dead set on A, studying so much at home in between all my sessions to learn everything I needed to know about film and how it differs from digital. But I just didn't want that safety net of, I knew that if I brought my digital camera to those sessions, I would pull it out and use it. And I didn't want to do that. Yeah. So you never do that anymore. You don't bring a backup digital camera to any of your sessions. So that was 2022. And At the new year of 2023, I had taken pretty much a six-month hiatus from digital. Other than the weddings that I had booked, I was still obviously shooting, you know, digital at weddings. I was shooting film as well, but I wasn't about to do full film at those weddings that soon. And I had those six months off from shooting digital at sessions. And I was like, hmm, maybe I've like spent enough time away from digital to sort of have fun implementing it again, because I think I was very burnt out in a lot of ways. And I was like, maybe I can have fun with digital again. So I started bringing it back to my sessions last year. No, like, (laughs) I just don't enjoy shooting digital anymore. So Mm. I my sessions back to full film. Wow. And when you kind of contacted all of the sort of upcoming sessions that you had, that like Mm -hmm. six month block, Like, Mm -hmm. did you have to have any conversations around client expectations and like, you know, different potential imperfections that come with shooting film or like turnaround times or all those things? Yeah. So most of the couples that I had booked were, you know, I don't know if it's my age or my personality or what I'm almost 29, but most of my couples that hire me, we sort of become internet friends right off the bat, I guess. So there's like a level of comfort with each other. I feel like contacting my couples and telling them this was a little bit different than like the families I contacted. The families, I definitely more was like, hey, just letting you know, it is possible that a role will get lost or something will happen. You know, how do you feel about this? Blah, blah, blah. Everyone was just super cool about it. Super, oh, we trust you 100%. My backup plan, if anything would have happened, was obviously we would do a reshoot because typically sessions you can redo. You know, it's not a wedding, not a proposal. So that was sort of my backup plan was like, worst case scenario, I just have to redo someone's session. And that's sort of the conversation I had with a lot of the families. I did talk to people about, hey, it might be a little bit longer to get your photos back because I am going to send it off to the lab and things like that. But everyone was literally just like oh we trust you like we can't wait no problem you know so that was really cool and do you kind of have to increase the price of your sessions because you're having to pay for film yes you don't wear that cost yeah yeah I do not 
eat that cost even slightly. I mean, obviously, I would make more money if I didn't shoot film or, you know, profit more. But I adjusted my prices accordingly once I made this decision. So it's, you know, it's no big deal. Do you still develop all of your film in your bathroom? No, no. (laughs) So... I did that on and off for that first summer and I'm glad I did it because of, you know, how much I learned about everything, but I quickly realized my volume is too high to do this, you know, for every single session, so I don't think I've done it since then. Yeah. But I'm glad that I have all the equipment and stuff like that and that I know how to do it if I ever either did need to save more money or just simply did want to develop it myself, but No, it's a lot of work. So it's very nice to just send it off. (laughs) Yeah, of course. And I think color as well. Developing color is much more time and chemical intensive. Yeah, I've never developed black and white, which is funny. Yeah, because it's supposed to be easier. But no, it is. (laughs) That's so wild to me. I can't believe that. Yeah. Wow. You're very like jump in the deep end kind of gal, aren't you? Yes. (laughs) I'm very all or nothing. I love that. Yeah. I feel like it's necessary for a lot of photographers, you know, like you kind of have to decide that that's what you want to do and really go for it. I'm very much about working for yourself is not easy. It's great. And I'm grateful and I love it. And I can't imagine anyone else being my boss ever again. But if I'm going to go through all of the things that I go through in order to be able to work for myself, I'm going to do what I want and what makes me the happiest. So, you know, I'm very lucky that I, I guess, attract people who love film as much as I do. But if, you know, for some reason it ever suddenly changed and suddenly people insist on digital, I would rather go get another job than ever do something that makes me unhappy with something that I'm passionate about. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a bit of a gamble when you start making Mm -hmm. your passion your business because it changes the way you relate to it. And so I think Mm -hmm. that like, you know, having those boundaries in place for yourself about, you know, not doing it unless you can do it on your own terms. That seems really healthy to me. Yeah. And I definitely, before film and when I was in the beginning, I wish somebody would have told me right off the bat, you know, do what you want from day one, because it really does make a difference in the entire journey of it all. Totally. Makes so much sense. Another kind of film related question. I'm curious about your sort of workflow around scanning and editing your photos. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you're not getting back like a raw file. How much sort of leeway do you get when you're editing film photos digitally? Yeah, I was actually really surprised when I, you know, started. I mean, I sort of edited my film, I feel like, since the beginning. I feel like I didn't know that other people didn't or that a lot of people don't edit their film because when I started shooting film, because of my digital background, I mean, it was just my impulse to immediately bring it into Lightroom. Like, <laughs> but that's just like what I did on autopilot was like, okay, well, time to go to Lightroom now, you know, course, to adjust yeah. the photo and stuff. Now I've learned there's a lot of people who don't adjust their film. They just sort of, you know, leave it to whatever lab they're using and let them make those decisions. But yeah, there's actually a lot of latitude. Like you have a lot of room, even with 35 millimeter film to not just make adjustments, but 
you know, sometimes if there is an in-home session where a few shots are a little underexposed or something like that, no, I certainly cannot recover those shadows the way that I could with digital, but I can add noise reduction and it's going to make it look a lot nicer than like an overwhelming amount of grain, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you yeah, leave I, the scanning, like you get it developed and scanned at a lab and then they sort so of, they come back to you in TIFF or JPEG or? So it's a complex question. I started scanning. So I started using a lab when I stopped developing at home. And then around, I guess, about four months ago, I randomly decided I wanted scanning my film at home again, but I knew that a flatbed is too slow and just a couple of other things. So I invested in being able to scan my film with my digital camera. And it is really nice to be able to do that because then you get literally, you know, huge files. I mean, if I'm using my R5, then it's scanning on, you know, 45 megapixels. Oh, I don't know if it's a TIFF by default when I'm scanning at home. I don't think I've ever actually thought about it. But yes, when I do have a like higher workload and I get the lab to give me scans, I pay for premium scans, which means that I'm basically getting like the raw version of of the film, like the least compressed version because yeah. they know that I'm going to bring it into Lightroom and work on it. But, you know, if you're somebody who wants to shoot films so that you don't have to make all those adjustments, it's a very nice process to just tell the lab, yeah, just send me the JPEG. And then you get typically a very beautiful photograph that you don't even have to touch, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like so much of the editing that a lot of photographers do these days is to kind of try and make it as much like film as possible. So yeah, yeah. yeah. It's interesting. I got just for like holidays and stuff, a little Fuji film. It's like an X-T4. Oh, no, oh. it's like a X-T, yeah, X-T4, I think it is. It's that's an awesome camera. It's a great camera, but I just kind of wanted something that's like small and, you know, mirrorless and easy to just take on holiday. The simulations. Yeah. But yeah, you can import all the film simulations. And so it's like, it's just funny because I've got this really lovely digital camera, but then Mm -hmm. I'm kind of almost like reducing the quality of the image by like adding noise. Great. Yeah. So I shoot Canon for my digital work, but I have a Fujifilm H2, I think it is, that I hardly touch, but it's very nice. And, you know, the film simulations are really cool. I just don't ever reach for it. I thought that I would. I thought maybe I'd spend less money on film in my personal life if I had a Fujifilm camera because they're awesome. And they're really beautiful too. Like, Yeah, they are. They look like old cameras, like they're kind of sturdy Mm -hmm. in the body. Yeah, the H2s are really, really nice. But yeah, I get it. Like, there's a certain quality of film that no matter how many simulations you upload to your camera or that you implement afterwards in Lightroom, it's just like you can't really actually get there. Yeah. And I think that the biggest thing I learned through s- switching to film was, you know, everyone used to tell me that my photos looked like film. And so, A, I thought that I was trying to get them to look like film, but I also sort of thought they looked like film too. And now looking back, I realize that you can't edit them to look like film because a lot of people think that what makes film film is, you know, those colors, right? Like the colors and the grain and just the way that it takes the photo differently than digital. Mm -hmm. But for me, I've noticed 
I can perfectly match my, you know, my digital wedding photos, for example, I can match them to my film wedding photos so that the colors match and like all these things are as close as possible. Film is different because there's just a way that film gets the light that I haven't been able to replicate with digital. Digital just comes up flat every time, even when I make tweaks in Lightroom. I can get it super close, but you can't get that same. I feel like it's almost like the way that film pops highlights or blooms highlights. You just can't get that dynamic range with digital. Totally. And also like how you approach the shoot when you're shooting with film. You're sort of, you know, how you were saying how you approach in-home sessions. It's like you kind of have to think about each shot as a like finite resource and like you have to be more considered about like how you frame up because you have to be more intentional because you can't just fire away like yeah. I think that honestly, that quality comes through as well yeah I think that in a way it helps relax people as well or get more relaxing photos rather because you know there's sometimes that I'm probably spending 15 to 20 seconds with the camera to my eye while I'm perfectly framing it the way that I want it. And perhaps I was going to tell them to do something when I was ready. But in that 15 to 20 second mark, you know, they're waiting. They're like, all right, when is this going to start? And right when they think that I'm not paying attention, I'm able to get a shot that's them literally being completely just their guard down. They're just waiting on Mm -hmm. the couch. They're looking around. They're not, (laughs) you know, trying to do anything they wouldn't normally do when they're sitting in their living room. Yeah, that's such a good point. Do you have any advice for photographers who might want to make the switch to film or like want to incorporate film into their offerings? Yeah, so I would say (laughs) I wouldn't necessarily recommend people do it the way that I did it because obviously (laughs) a risk. But, you know, if you're a person like me and you know that you can do it, then do it. But not everyone will have that same experience in the beginning. I would say, especially even scrolling through like the unscripted Facebook page, you know, I'm lurking like every day reading people's posts. (laughs) And I see one thing that comes up a lot on the topic of film is people who are trying to get into film, but they're, it's almost like you're way too careful. And when it comes to film, you don't want to learn how to shoot film and be working on the same role for an entire month because then you're going to spend all that time thinking that you're practicing film and then you're going to get the rollback and not only see like all these mistakes you made that you pretty much, I don't want to say wasted an entire month, but you know, whereas if you just say, all right, I'm just going to budget like a hundred, $150 and I'm going to shoot through three or four rolls over the next month and shoot as much as I can of as many things as I can. And also perhaps keep a little diary so that you can keep up with what shots are which and what you did for each shot. Because the sooner you make those mistakes with film, the sooner you're going to be ready to shoot film whenever you want. Because the thing about film is that you're more than likely not going to make the same mistake twice because it's such an expensive thing to make a mistake with film. You want to make those mistakes in the beginning as fast as you can so that eventually like there's no mistakes left to make unless something really unexpected and tragic happens with the camera that's like out of your control 
Mm-hmm. Totally. I love that advice. advice where it's like, go just faster. <laughs> go faster and like be less precious about it, you know, just yeah, and certainly don't do that on clients necessarily, but you know, take a film camera with you every day for a week and tell yourself you're going to shoot an entire role, you know, just really not being careful. You can be careful with it once you know what you're doing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Just kind of learning through trial and error, I think is a really mm-hmm. good way to sort of just break that barrier and get in there. Yeah. We're kind of wrapping up now, but I'm curious about what 2024 looks like for you. Do you have any resolutions, photography related or otherwise, or any exciting things in the pipeline for you and your business? I sort of have a resolution. (laughs) It's to be able to talk in more spaces like this about film. You know, there's not much of a voice in especially the industry when it comes to women who shoot film. It's either really hard to find or it exists perhaps only, you know, on somebody's Instagram. There's not really any mainstream stuff that I find from female voices when it comes to shooting film professionally for work. And so I sort of, I literally wrote it in my notebook on New Year's Eve that this year I just want to talk on as many sort of platforms as I can about film photography and like specifically encouraging other women to pick up film and especially all the more if if they are, you know, a business owner and, and they've always wanted to implement it into their business, but they just, they don't really trust themselves. They don't know if they can do it. You can do it if you want to, you know. And you offer mentorships and stuff, don't you? Yes, I do one-on-one mentorships. They're typically over Zoom. Sometimes they're local if you happen to be local, but typically they're over Zoom and they can be either question and answer based, which is like the smaller mentorship offering, but the bigger one is basically my blueprint for everything. And then you can ask questions. (laughs) Awesome. Well, yeah, as I understand it, you kind of taught yourself everything, including like not only photography, but how to run a business. So Yeah, if any of you are out there thinking about wanting to step more seriously into the world of film and photography, then I feel like they should reach out. I'll make sure to put your website and Instagram in the show notes. But thank you so much for joining me today. It was such a great conversation. Yeah, thank you so much. This was awesome. And that's a wrap, folks. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of the Unscripted Podcast for Photographers. It's been such an inspiring conversation that I'm just about ready to ditch my to-do list for today in favor of researching how to turn my bathroom into a dark room. There are so many great takeaways from this episode, but starting to incorporate the following points will create space for so much ease for your next in-home sessions. Ask your clients ahead of time which direction the house is facing and what kinds of windows they have so you can plan the time of day you'll be shooting. Take a little tour around their home so you can evaluate each room for lighting, mood, and space. Don't be afraid to step into your role as director. The more you take charge of the situation, the more relaxed your clients are likely to feel. Overall, this conversation just felt like a great reminder to take the trust fall into your craft and everything will fall into place. Wherever you are, at whatever stage in your journey you're at, we're here for you. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. This podcast was created on the unceded land of the Bundjalung people, and we pay our respects to elders past, emerging, and present.